Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Thank you, praise team. We always appreciate those who give uh, when it comes to the worship service and those who God has uh, gifted in such a way to do that. So we thank the Lord for them. I do want to kind of follow up with something that was mentioned earlier uh, with the whole idea of the connection groups. We have connection groups or connect groups that are not only uh, semester driven where there's uh, subject matter and it only meets for a period of time. We also have those that are year round, ongoing. And uh, one of those, some of you may not even realize it, is one that's a young adult class. Uh, Tom and Ann, they both lead this along with some other adults. And they meet at 945. And it's especially for those who are college age, uh, those who are singles, who have a career or whatever. And uh, they love to have you. They meet at 945 over in the warehouse building. So if you don't have a connection group and that seems to fit you, we sure would welcome you to be a part of that. All right, we're going to continue the series, In Him, For Him. It's our study, verse by verse, through the book of Ephesians. And uh, we've gone quite a ways now. We're in chapter 6, as you can already see, and I have about four more sermons counting today to finish this off. Now, the passage we're going to be looking at today, let me just say this. When it comes to uh, God's Word, and you decide to speak uh, or go verse by verse through a thing, you can't leave anything out. I mean, it's you got to deal with the tough ones, too. And so that's what we're going to be doing this morning, because... Many people would say the verses we're looking at today are controversial. Uh, and, and the main reason is because it deals with the relationship between the slave and the master. Now, here's what's interesting about this. We, we, some have used the verses we're going to look at today to, legitimize, uh, to bring legitimacy to slavery. And that, that's just crazy. Okay. Now, that being said, how many of you ever have ever wondered why Jesus or Paul never seemed to take a stand against slavery? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, because really you don't find that in Scripture when it comes to that. And so many people would say, you know, why, why, why would Jesus not come in here and lead, lead this movement? I mean, it was obvious it was practiced in the first century. Why did he do that? Why did Paul seem to kind of take it in stride when he talked about it? Well, let me just kind of fill in the gaps for you. When it comes to Jesus himself, Jesus did not show up on the scene the first time he came 2,000 years ago. He did not come to to lead revolts, to, to come and stand against social injustice as it deals with in a political matter. That was not what he was here for. If you look at the 12 disciples, many believe possibly four to five of them were considered zealots. These were guys who wanted to overtake the Roman Empire. These were guys who wanted to stand up against the injustice done to the Jewish people. And the thing that you'll find is that they constantly raised that theme over and over again. And Jesus constantly said, I'm not here for that. I'm here to build the kingdom. I'm here for life change. I'm here that lives may be transformed. And Jesus knew that in this fallen world, in the darkness in which uh, uh, plagues this world, Jesus knew that the only hope for social injustice to be changed is for hearts to be changed. And that's what it was all about. That's what Jesus was all about. And Paul seemed to follow up with that line of thinking. You see, slavery was common in the ancient world, especially in the first century. And here's what may amaze you. Almost 40% of those who made up the Roman Empire were considered slaves. Now, it was very difficult, uh, or it is very difficult to read a passage about slavery 
Because when we do as Americans, we immediately go back to the atrocities of American slavery. And we go back there and we think about all those terrible things that were done and the way it played out and how it divided a nation and and all those things. But here's what we need to understand. The slavery in the first century that Paul addresses was not the same as American slavery for three reasons. And there's three reasons for that. Now, this is not on your outline. I just want to give you the context for what Paul was sharing this morning. The, the, the slavery in the first century was, ba- was not based on race. Any race of conquered people could become slaves. So if the Roman Empire, if they were expanding their borders and they were co- to come up against a people group or a nation or whatever it may be, as they would take those people, those people would become slaves to the Roman Empire. Another way that you would find slavery in the first century was for those who couldn't pay their debts. As a result of them not being able to pay their debt, they literally had to make, them a sla- make themselves a slave and even sometimes their whole family a slave to the one that they owed. And so those were the common themes of slavery in the first century. Now, keep in mind that slavery in the first century was a temporary uh, thing that would happen to a person most of the time. Slaves could expect to be emancipated by the age of 30. It was possible to save and buy a person's own freedom, especially if they were in slavery because they owed a debt to someone. A third thing, the slavery of the first century involved different occupations. One could have any type of job and be considered a slave. You could have civil services, medical care, doctors, teachers, accountants, business people, uh, domestic work, agriculture. All those people could serve in those, in those avenues of jobs. They could serve as slaves. Matter of fact, if you walk down the street of Ephesus, right here where Paul's addressing this letter, you would not be able to tell the slaves from the freedmen because they, it, it, it all ran together. It wasn't based on the things that American slavery, slavery was based on. Many times when slaves in the first century became free, they often voluntarily chose to keep working for the same person. Now, let me tell you what Christianity did do. While Jesus and Paul did not lead a revolt or or, or create a movement to end this thing, one thing that we do see uh, that Christianity did, and we see it in Paul's writing, in the first century, Christianity put slaves on equal footing with all. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, listen to what he says. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Christianity put everyone on the same plane as it deals with how we are represented before God. As a matter of fact, a slave, this was very interesting. You can go find uh, historical uh, ideas about this. A slave in the church, did you know that some slaves in the churches could have a more prominent position of leadership than their master? It just shows you the, the whole idea and the way it looked. It was, a, it was a different look. Now, many have stated that first century slavery, barring the abuses, was much like the employer-employee relationships of today, which leads us to the subject we're going to look at today. What should the relationship be between the employer and the employee? And, and Paul is going to address, here's what he's going to do. He's going to first address the employee who, who, is, who is a Christian, and he, then he's going to address the employer who, who is a Christian and how they should operate in the workplace. So look at the introduction on your outline. 
The workplace has the potential to build or destroy a person's testimony. How many of you agree with that? It's so true. Paul, in the passage today, is instructing us in how we are to conduct ourselves in the workplace. He begins with God's expectations of employees, and then he moves to God's expectations of employers. Now, as we read this today, it's important to note that the original letters that were written that Paul wrote, you do realize there were no chapters and verses, right? What Paul is doing is he's going back to chapter 5, verse 18, where there is a command there that says to be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, here's what you need to understand. As soon as he declares that, he's going to go into the subject matter of relationships. We skipped this one because we want to do it on Valentine's Day, two weeks from today. But the whole idea of of the relationship between the husband and wife, he deals with that first. All that's under the context of being filled with the Spirit, how it plays out in the marriage. Then he comes to the relationship between the child and the parent. He talks about that. We did that two weeks ago when we last met. But today, he's looking at, under the context of being filled with the Spirit of God, what it looks like with the idea between the employee and the employer. It's all under the context of this. So keep in mind, listen to this, that a Spirit-filled life is a life lived in the context of God. In the context of God. Now, let me say this about employment. We are never called to compartmentalize, I can't say the word, our lives. We're not called to do that. We are to be the same person in the home that we are at church, that we are on the job, wherever we find ourselves. Now, here's why that's important. Because our lives are to be lived under the context of God. Now, context literally means this. The parts make up the whole. And so our lives must be under that context. Now, saying that, look on your outline. He's, he, Paul, first of all, gives a word to employees, okay? The employees, which is probably most of us, okay? And he says this, submitting to instruction, submitting to instruction. That's very important when it comes with the relationship between the, the uh, employer and employee. How are they to do that? With compliance to obedience, We must learn to be obedient in the workplace. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, he says, Bond servants, be obedient. Be obedient. And then, look on your outline, submitting to instruction also with compliance to authority. He goes on further in that same verse, and he says this, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, and here it is, according to the flesh. The phrase according to the flesh is a reference to the fact that it is only a temporary situation. How many of you like that idea? That wherever you are in the workplace, whatever it looks like, is temporary. It's temporary. And the thing that we need to understand is that Paul was saying, okay, you're to live your life under the context of God or in the context of God. And here's what I need to remind you. However you, whatever you find yourself and whatever kind of arrangements you're finding yourself and you don't like it and it's tough to deal with, here's what you need to understand. There's an eternity out there. It's only temporary. It's only temporary. So it says according to the flesh. It also means this, when it says according to the flesh. It also means that while the boss is over you in the flesh, he or she is not over you when it comes to spiritual matters. Listen, he or she has temporary authority over you in a particular area of your life. They're not over you as it relates to the wholeness of your life. Only God is. Only God is. 
And that's something we need to understand. It's important that we understand that. So, a word to employees, their submission. Now, granted, how many of you know that there are people that are hard to work with and for? Anybody? Now, if your boss is in here, just keep your hand down. I understand. Just, But some people are just hard and difficult to work for. They really are. I mean, I, I've, I've held several secular jobs. I understand that. I mean, uh, when it comes to the whole context, sometimes they're mean-spirited, demanding, demeaning, and even at times cruel. At, at best, as, as best as you can, you can, we need to look past the person and their issues, and here's what we need to do. We need to look past that and set our eyes on the Lord and serve Him through and in our job, which leads us to the next point. Look on your outline. Their submission. They need to be submitting to God. In the context of your workplace, now I realize we have a lot of college students here and, and high school students and middle school. Some of you don't have jobs yet, but guess what? It's coming, and it'll be there. And you'll, right now you may not understand the whole dynamic of what we're talking about, but you will one day. And here's what's interesting about that. The context of our lives is to be lived under the context of God. That means everything that touches our lives, all the compartments of it, need to be in that context where we're filled with the Spirit of God, that we're responding to the things that touch us, whether it's through family, workplace, whatever it may be, that we're having the proper relationship with those things. Now, God may have you in your place of employment, and this is so important that you understand this, to be light in darkness. Matter of fact, that is the call that's placed on your life as a Christian. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, he said two things about us. He said you're to be a light to the world and you're to be salt. And the focus I want you to look at in the workplace today is a whole idea of what it means to be light. If you work in a, in a, in a place that is, uh, that is dark. You know what I mean. The systems in which it operates is, is of the world and at times is evil and has a characteristic of rebellion or greed or whatever it may be. And all that defines what that job looks like. And you've been called into that. Guess what the expectation is from God? You're to bring light. You're to bring the truths of God's word. You're to bring your testimony. You're to bring the wholeness of who you are to that job that you can be light to that darkness. Have you ever thought of it that way? Y'all, that's your ministry. That's your mission field. You're going to spend as much time on those jobs. If you're a full-time employee, you're going to spend as much time or more on those jobs than you will even with your own family. And the thing that you need to understand is that we do that in the context of who God is. Now, back when I was in the secular employment, I, I, I came to understand that in somewhat the hard way. I was in my early 20s. And I knew the Lord. I, uh, I thought I understood the expectations that he had for me. And I went into that. And I worked with a group of guys. And we got pretty close. And it didn't take them long to figure out that I was a Christian, that, that, that I did stand for certain things. And, and I was there. And, and, and I wanted them to know that I'm there not only to, 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 to do that, to represent God's truth and to be light, but I'm also there to minister to them. Now, let me just say this. A lot of people, a lot of those same guys, they would ask me questions about my faith. They'd ask me how, what I believed about this and how I did this. And, and, and back then, I just, I just told them, a little naive at times. But you know what? Many times they would use that information against me later on. And, and they would. They'd come after me they, they, in the whole context of my faith. 
But you know something? Here's what's very interesting about that. The same guys who would make fun of me over the break table or whatever it may be, the same guys that kind of punched at me or whatever, here, here's what you need to understand. When difficulty came to their lives, when their life became bigger than they were, guess who they came to? They came to me. They came to me. And I consider it an honor once I worked through my bitterness. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know what? So many of us, we're in the workplace. We're there. We don't realize the context of our lives is all about God. And we get in there, and, and somehow we make that place about us. Y'all, we're called to that place. We're called to be light into that darkness. I, I, to be what God called me to be in that place, I couldn't be bitter at them. I couldn't write them off. I couldn't say, well, go on the hell then. I couldn't do any of that. I had to realize, listen, I had to realize God placed me here. I had a role in their life. This was my ministry. This was my mission field. And I had to be there for him. And, and that's what he calls all of us to. Listen, submitting to God in the workplace is allowing him to use you for his bidding. Now, here's what you need to understand. There are times when some of the abuses that you're taking in that workplace may be necessary. Sometimes God wants to test you right in the middle of the darkness. They, there's times in which God wants to literally see the, the squeezing process take place in your life because guess what? The people you work with, they're watching. They're looking. They're trying to say, well, how is he going to handle this one? You're building your testimony before them that you can have a platform to minister to them. Here's what you need to understand. God's will supersedes fairness and our comforts. Sometimes in the workplace, it won't be fair. Sometimes in the workplace, you're going to be targeted. Sometimes in the workplace, they're going to make fun of you and mock you for what you believe. But here's what you need to understand. If God's called you there, you're there for a reason. You're there for a purpose. And that reason is to be light in the midst of the darkness. Next, submitting to God. How do you do it? Through reverence. Through reverence. Look at Ephesians 6. Look at verse 5 again. He says, with fear and trembling. Now, the idea of fear and trembling does not mean that we fear the people we work for. It means that the godly servant strives to do what is right, and out of a fear of disobeying God, they have this reverence when it comes to the relationship with God. They see that God's up to something. They recognize the call that's been placed on their life. And out of reverence, they, they don't want to disappoint God. Here's another idea. Submitting to God through reliability. We should, here's what you need to understand. We should be the most faithful and most reliable employee in the company. Did you know that? We should be. I remember, well, I'll get to that in just a moment. <laughs> now, here's what we need to understand. The reason for that is this. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Look at the last part of verse 5. You're to do all this in, in the context, he says, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. It means a sincereness. It means there's something there as to Christ, meaning that your job is more than bringing home a paycheck and providing for your family. It also means, it means this, in which God has called you to accomplish certain purposes through your life to those that he's placed you around. Next, their service. And it's that whole idea, talking about employees, deferring to integrity. Deferring to integrity. Y'all, did you know that the Bible says we are to walk in integrity? And y'all, the only way you can do that, and you do realize integrity is that whole idea of what makes up the core of who you are. 
if, if integrity makes up the core of who you are, you're, you're already halfway there to live in, under the, in the context of what God's called you to live in. And so I want you to look at what, how this plays out. Deferring to integrity, look on your outline, outline, in work, in work. You need to have integrity when it comes to your job. So in Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 6. He says, not with eye service. You as an employee are to conduct yourself in such a way that, that, it, that whether the boss is looking or not, you're giving an honest day's work, whether he's looking or not looking. That's what it means here. I remember years ago, I had an opportunity to work at a plant where they had shift work. There were only two shifts, two 12-hour shifts. So you either worked the day shift or the night shift. Now, I, I, I wasn't used to shift work. I, I didn't understand the context of it. I didn't, the only thing I knew is it was a summer job. I was a college student. Let's go see what happens. So I get in there, and I noticed, now, I didn't have this going in. I dreaded doing the night shift. Okay, you ever had those jobs? I, I, I just soon wanted to work when the sun was up. You know, that seemed to, to be more to my liking. <laughs> but, you know, I got to hanging around the employees, and I started realizing they liked the night shift better. Do you know why? Because the boss wasn't around. The boss wasn't around. You could kind of pretty much do your own thing. So during the day, those same employees would conduct themselves in one way, and then at night, you couldn't find them rascals. They were over in the corner asleep. Sometimes two of them be leaned up against the wall beside each other. It's like, what is all that about? You know, but anyway, they were not the same when the boss was looking, when the boss wasn't looking. Let me tell you, when the boss is looking and when he's not, that's one thing. But did you know that God's always looking? He expects us to be people of integrity when it comes to this. Submitting to God in the workplace is that we give the boss a full day's work for a full day's pay. Even when the boss isn't looking, the thing we need to remember is God is. And here's something else you need to understand. Not only is God looking, the other employees are looking. So if you're out there talking about your faith and the integrity of your faith and what it looks like, you don't need to be the one in the corners and we're sleeping because they're watching you. They're seeing. Is this thing real? Or is it, or does he just talk? Here's another one. Their service, deferring to integrity, not only in work, but also in word. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says, not with eye service as men pleasers. The word speaks here, men, men pleasers, speaks as those who are smooth talking. They're slick. Here, here, here it is in a nutshell. They're suck-ups. That's what this is referring to. And so what happens is they use flattery to, to advance the job. Now, there's nothing wrong with be a, being a source of encouragement to your employer. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's a fine line between when you're trying to use it to manipulate that person or not. You have to be careful with that. And so each of these, when you think about it, each of these, uh, when you think about flattering to advance on the job, both of these actions, eye service or men pleasers, both of these actions can be manipulative and are manifestations of the flesh. They speak of someone who is walking in pride and who is actually serving themselves and not the Lord. Instead of seeking to promote ourselves, we should be in the business of promoting the Lord. I remember I had a privilege of leading uh, a guy to the Lord that I worked with. You remember that team of guys I worked with? 
I, I had the privilege of talking with him about the Lord and telling him about my faith. And I invited him to a crusade there in Wilmington, North Carolina, where we were. And he showed up at the crusade. And lo and behold, the, the rascal got saved. And I'm telling you, his life was radically transformed. It was so cool to watch. It really was neat to watch. And, and, and here's, here's what happened. He got so on fire for the Lord that he didn't do his job. Uh, you, say, you say, that sounds contradictory. No, he didn't do it. Here's what, what happened. We were responsible for unloading. You ever worked in retail where you had to unload the truck? Sometimes the truck gets there at 5 in the morning, 4 in the morning. And so you have to be there. You've got to unload the truck. Well, lo and behold, me and the other guys, we'd be unloading the truck. And the new brother over here would be witnessing to the truck driver. And they'd just be sitting over there just cutting up, and he's sharing his I hear the words he's sharing his faith, but guess who ain't liking it? We who are working, we ain't liking it. And here's what was happening, and I started observing, and I finally had to go to him and approach him with it. I said, you're losing the credibility with the other workers. You're losing the ability to speak into their lives. You're losing the ability. Your testimony is being affected here. Y'all, when it comes to integrity, we really, there's a lot of things that hang in the balance when it comes to integrity. But the thing that we need to understand is this, that we give an honest day's work to what we're called to do. Here's another one. Their, their service, deferring to integrity, but not only deferring to integrity, but deferring to God. So that employer, that employee, they're, they're there, they're deferring to the integrity of what they've been called to, but also to God. How does that look? Well, first of all, with perspective. With perspective, and the word he uses there is bond servant. Look at Ephesians 6, verse 6 again. Not with eye service as men pleasers, not in manipulative ways, but as bond servants of Christ. This is who you were sold to. This is, this is who has purchased your life. You know that's what it literally means. Bond service, the whole idea of you owing something. Let me ask you something. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do you owe him something? Yeah, you owe him your life. He purchased your life. You owe him that. The thrust of this passage is inescapable. We are to do our work as if Jesus was our employer. We are to do it diligently with a proper attitude. Realizing that Jesus is our employer is the only way we can labor under certain less favorable conditions with a godly attitude. Because here's what you got to understand. When you go to work tomorrow, some of you are sitting here right now and you're like, why are you reminding me about work? I'm trying to get away from it. But some of you are sitting here today and you dread going in tomorrow. I, I'm, I'm a pastor and sometimes I work. So that's where, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to, oh my goodness, I know tomorrow I got to face this. I got to do this. Here, here's what we need to understand. If we're living our lives under the, in the context of who God is, listen, God has called us to what we're going to face tomorrow. He's called us to it. And as difficult as it may be, we have to see it in that light. And that way, if there's emotional abuse or there's things over here we don't want to face and all that, if somehow we can push those things aside and realize those are important too, but the main focus of my life is to live, to please God, to glorify Him, and to live out His purposes, that's what I've been called to do. And so that's what it looks like. Next, deferring to God with passion. He speaks of the heart in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6. But as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God, and look how he phrases it, from the heart. Do you know, he, he, he's not only speaking of sincerity in that service, but second of all, he's talking about passion, having a passion to do what you've been called to do. In Colossians chapter 3, it says this, and whatever you do, 
do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Not to men. Listen, I think we are there. We are there to please our employer. We are there to give an honest day's work. We should be the most faithful on the job. But even in the context of who that employer is and our our desire to to, to have a great testimony before him, it it going as a measure of who we are in in God has a greater value even than that. Next, deferring to God has purpose. He says, as to the Lord. Look at verse 7. With goodwill doing service uh, as to the Lord and not to men. Titus chapter 2 kind of shed some light on what this may look like. Look here on the screen. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters. That's a whole employee-employer relationship. To be well-pleasing in all things. That means to be cooperative when you can be cooperative. It means not answering back, being argumentative. It's not pilfering. It means stealing. It's talking about but showing all good fidelity. It's talking about character. That they may adorn Talking about the employer, that they may adorn. You know what that word means? It means where that they may decorate. Here's a better translation. That they may make attractive, what? The doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. Have you ever thought of your life this way? If you're going to live your life under the context of God or in the context of God, there's two things about your life. First of all, you're to live, you're to live your life to glorify Him. But here's something else. You're to live your life to make the truths of God attractive, for it to be refreshing. I've shared this with you before, but I want you to understand it. To me, it's a big deal. Millennials. Many of you in this room are millennials. You would be under that generation. Again, first generation of Americans in which a majority of that generation does not necessarily believe God and His Word is truth. A majority of them don't. You, you get that, right? That means millennials, if, if you hold that view, you're in the minority. First generation that's ever been born, it has that, that value as it relates to God and His Word. Here's one thing I want to tell you. When I say a young person, whether you're talking about a college student or a young family who's just starting out, and, and they're doing everything in their power to build their lives upon the Word of God, let me just tell you about that. For me, when I look at that, that's one of the most refreshing things that I can see. Y'all, I eat it out. I love to see that. It warms my heart that the generation, the first one in which they're a minority, they still choose to not live with the majority, but to seek out what God desires them for their, for their life. That, that is so refreshing. Y'all, I think our world is looking for something that's real. Something that has integrity, something that is not hypocrisy, something that really means something, that has purpose, that has passion, and we can demonstrate that in the workplace. Here's another thing. Deferring to God has perks. The Bible says he will receive. Look at verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. I want you to turn real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, okay? One could you? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. For those who are not political, just ask the person that's laughing. They'll tell you what that's about. But anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to see something. Hold your place there. Turn over there. There are eternal advantages and benefits in serving the Lord. Did you know that? Eternal benefit packages. Let me just tell you this. 
college students, those who are preparing for their careers and everything. Listen, when you sign up for a job, not only pay attention to the salary, look at the benefit package. Sometimes that's even more valuable than the salary. But see what's being offered. See what's happening there. Listen, when it comes to God and his economy, listen, the benefit package for eternity far exceeds anything you're going to receive in this temporary world. And that's where the focus should be. That means living our lives in the context of who God is. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. Here's what that is saying. Jesus Christ has laid the foundation. Everything, when it comes to the kingdom, when it comes to life change, when it comes to transformation, he's got it right there. If you receive him as your Lord and Savior, you are then capable of building on that foundation. Did you know that? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, these verses we're looking at, is actually the judgment for Christians. This is what the judgment will look like. It's not a matter of where we have salvation or not. It's a matter of what we've done with our life. So look at verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing that will last except for Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or straw... Each one's work will become clear for the day. The day is, is, is the judgment. That's when our, we're going to give an account for our lives, okay? That's what that day means. It will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So everything that we've done and which we've declared is, is, is building on the foundation Christ has already said. And we've got it propped up there, and it's sitting there, and it's, it's gold, silver, and precious stone. Listen, you put fire to that, it's going to stand up. You ever set fire to wood, hay, or straw? It goes up. I mean, it's just, it's gone. There's a lot of us living. Listen, we, we profess that we're living our lives in the context of God. We, we, we profess that we're, we're living our lives with purpose and all that. But yet, listen, the whole motivation for it is all wrong, and guess what? You could stand there at that judgment, listen, and have nothing, have nothing. We've got to realize what is this life really all about? Y'all, when it comes to employer, the workplace, it's more than picking up a paycheck. It, it is a place of ministry, is a place of mission. And I believe when you look at the whole context of what he's saying, he says in verse uh, 13, each one's work become clear. Oh, verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. That's part of the benefit package, okay? Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, he's going to suffer loss. But here it is. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Here's what that means. It means this. this is a, he's talking to only believers. It is possible and it is capable for a believer to live their whole life. They've given their life to the Lord. There's some fruit. There's this out there, but the motivations are wrong. They don't see their life in the context of God. They live their life, maybe 70, 80 years. They get to the very end. These verses are telling us it is possible that they won't have anything to show for it. But we're definitely, it's not talking about salvation, though. But how many of you really want to face the one that created you, the one that gave you opportunity, the one that said, hey, here's an expectation I have of your life? How many of you want to stand before him and not have anything there to say, boy, I built upon the foundation that was laid? Here, here's another one. Or here's next thing. Or here, here's one thing I, I want to point out. The, the motivation of service. Look at the footnote. There's three ways we can go about our jobs. Serving out of dis uh, discipline, I have to serve. 
Here's what that looks like. I got to go to work tomorrow. Oh, man, I don't want to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> but you know something? I told him I'd be there. I'm going to go. Now, that's good. Sometimes we, that's the only motivation we have. Here's another level. Serving out of duty. I ought to serve. I mean, I, he is going to pay me at the end of the week. Or she's going to pay me at the end. I probably ought to go. And, and then, but here's where it needs to be. Serving out of devotion. I want to serve. That is looking at, that is looking through all the junk that may be there in that job. Looking through all the harassment that you take sometimes just for being light and darkness. It means looking at all those things and saying, you know something? My eyes are not on that. My eyes are what God has for me today. And I want to look to him. That's what that says. I want to serve. Now, a word to employ, employers. I got to go quickly. Some of you are like, no, nail them. No, we got to, I'm, I'm running out of time. <laughs> the reason I'm sticking more with employees, most of us are employees. Okay, let's be honest. A word to, employ, word to employers. Number one, their responsibility. If you look at verse 9, it says this, and you masters do the same things to them, their employers. That means everything that was asked of the employees need to be found in, in the employer. Okay? And here's how you do it. Deferring to integrity. Uh, Colossians chapter 4 says, Masters, give your bond servants what is just and fair. Here's another one, deferring to God, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. That means when you look at your life in the, con in the context of God, that you realize God has placed you there. And here's what's interesting. When it comes to the workplace, if you're an employer and you're over people, you have influence over people, guess what? You are considered by, by God's word delegated authority. That means God has, given, has delegated certain authorities in your life. And we need to realize he's the one that's placed us there. Listen, a Christian's, a, a, let me just skip, I got to hurry. Uh, here you go. A word to employers, their restraint, not abusing power. Look what he says in verse 9 also, giving up, threatening. Basically, employers are not to leave from a position of fear and threat. They are to create a safe and fulfilling work environment. Here's another one. Their restraint, not abusing the position. Knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. That means this. The people who, who you have influence over, just because you've been given that delegated authority, listen to this, doesn't mean you're any better than they are. Bottom line, the employer is to not lead by threat nor fear, never abusive. They are to realize that their authority is delegated by God and is temporary. They need to realize that they are no better than those that have authority over, as I just said. They are to respect and care for those who are under their authority. Now, again, who am I talking about? I'm talking about employers who, who are living as light. That's what we're talking about here. Next, they are to be Christ-like in all they do, even in the workplace. They are to realize that they will give an account before God for the way they handled the authority they were entrusted. Now, here's what this is not saying. You as an employee, you can, you can do not take this list to your employer tomorrow and say, let me just tell you what God expects of you. Sit down. Listen. And here's what you need to understand. People who live in darkness, they don't see light. They don't see it. They're not going to see it the way God, they're not going to see God's expectation of where they are. So you got to understand that. So when you, when you read these things and when you see these things, they're not intended to make you more angry at the boss. They're intended to show you the difference between the darkness in which 
many places are and the light that you are and how you can influence it. Here, footnote. Here's, here it is. Here's a caveat to everything. You should follow delegated authority until it conflicts with supreme authority. Delegated authority is what employers are given. Supreme authority is only God. So you got to look at that. Namely, when you're asked to do something that is against God's word. If this happens, approach your employer with respect and express your concern as it relates to your conviction and faith. Then offer a different solution if one exists. If they insist you go against your conviction, then tell them with great respect that you must decline. Can I tell you, don't be a jerk about it. Deal, just as they, deal with them with understanding. Deal with them with the fact that, that, that a lot of people just operate out of darkness. And you're light in this situation. And, and you got to be respectful. And then here it is. Be, be prepared that you stand, that your stand could cost you your job. That's a real bummer, isn't it? But it could. Here's the application. If you're a person in authority, employer, do you treat your employees with a servant's heart? Do you? I mean, what, what do they think of you? Now, let me just tell you this. Here's a caveat to that. <laughs> Some people you will never please. Sometimes you're the light and you're the one. And there's some people who may be under you this darkness. And their whole life is greed and all about them and what's best for them personally and not what's best for the company or what's best for whatever. But here's what you need to understand. You're not going to be judged by them. You're going to be judged before God. And if you can lay your head on the pillow at night and feel like you've dealt with a person justly and fair, the way God would deal with them, that's all that matters. Some people you just can't please. I understand that. But you got that's your goal. How does it appear before God? Next, if you're an employee, do you treat your work as service to the Lord? Do you see it as I'm doing this for God? I'm living my life in the context of who God is. And what he, what he, I'm not living for that boss. I'm there to, to do the best I can to, to honor it. I realize I'm working in darkness, but I've been called to be light. Would you stand to your feet? Father, we just thank you for your word this morning, the challenge that we've had. And Father, I just pray if there's someone here today, and we've talked all this talk about light and darkness, and maybe, maybe they've never come into the light. Maybe they've never come to know you as their Lord and Savior. They've never taken on the provision that Jesus has paid for us, that we don't have to stand before you in our sin, that Christ came to die for our sin, and that now we can walk in light in the, in the truth of your word. Father, if there's someone here today that's never done that, I pray that they would be the day to give the heart to you. Father, if there's someone here today that believes this church home that you called them to be a part of, I pray that you'll help them to be obedient to that if, if you called them to that. But Father, I pray for that person that may be here today. Lord, maybe they, they, they contemplate where their place is in the workplace. They're sitting there and they realize that they've kind of failed in some of these areas. They're not living as light and darkness. They're letting the darkness defeat them. They're cynical. They're bitter. They're angry. They're to the point where they know it's unfair and they're starting to demand their own rights. Father, help them to realize that there's a greater call that's been placed on them than that attitude. Father, I pray you'll help them to have wisdom and discernment to, to see if they're supposed to even be in that job or, or to see maybe that there's somewhere else you're calling them. Help them to have discernment to know what that looks like. But Lord, help us also realize that some places you called us to, they won't be easy. It's not about fairness in the workplace. It's about being a witness in the workplace. 
It's about having integrity. It's about representing Christ. Father, help us to bloom, to, to be the light where you placed us. We thank you for it. If there's someone here that needs prayer for that or someone to, to, to agree with them and help them and pray with them through these matters, I pray they'll respond. Lord, just do what you're wanting to do in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing with us this